Today, we're talking about the absolutely wild dumpster fire situation around Sound of Freedom and Tim Ballard, breaking down the scandal, allegations, and now abuse lawsuits. The horrifying and dangerous bone-smashing trend is back as young men are trying to get more chiseled jawlines. Bobby Altoff has found herself in controversy. Rogue drones at NFL games are stoking bomb threat fears. And the Hamas-Israel war has resulted in hate crime fears spiking, doxing scandal, and even right-wingers fighting amongst each other. We're talking about all that and so much more on today's extra-large Philip Franco show you daily dive into the news, but quick thing first, a quick heads up so you know because stuff's going to be selling out. The October Beautiful Bastard Drop drops next Monday, October 16th, but if you want to get to the store first before everyone else knows about it, text me at 813-213-4423. You'll be the first to know when all this goodness is available and you can get in before we sell out. So now you know, but we got a lot of news to talk about today, so let's just jump into it. Starting with, y'all, it's just so simple. All you got to do to look absolutely fabulous is smash your bones with a hammer. Please don't do that. I'm joke. I was. Jo it was. Jo it was a joke. Or rather, I'm telling you not to do it because this is not a joke. Or because this old trend of bone smashing, it's become popular again, and it still does not work. But according to people who believe in this, you can promote bone growth by subjecting your face to repeated blunt trauma, such as with a hammer. With them saying that it's almost like working out your muscles, except now it's your bones, and you'll end up with a more chiseled look, a wider chin, or a sharper jawline. And advocates of this idea citing Wolf's Law, which notably is a baseless medical theory from the 19th century that suggests bones adapt to stress. But as doctors have told. Outlets like Vice, while your jaw may look bigger due to inflammation, that's only temporary. Your bones will not grow back harder and stronger, and you may even cause permanent damage by smashing them. Now, I do want to note, it is not exactly clear how much of the bone smashing trend is a joke, but at least some of it does appear to be real. And notably, it is just one facet of a much broader, very real trend known as looks maxing, which as the name suggests is when young men try to max out their looks by any means necessary. And so that can mean something as simple as eating healthier or taking care of your skin, but it can also just fall into the extremely bizarre. For example, there is a trending called mute which is an oral posture technique where you rest your tongue against the roof of your mouth to accentuate your cheekbones. There's actually no evidence that doing that would permanently alter your facial structure, nor is there evidence that taping your mouth shut overnight or chewing on jaw toners actually work. Right, the first might obstruct your airway and the second can actually destroy your jaw joints. You also have things like this guy in Australia who's gotten attention for his plan to undergo leg lengthening surgery to make himself taller for the ladies. Right, and that procedure, which is meant for people like trauma patients, not cosmetic purposes, entails breaking your bones, inserting metal pins, and then stretching them over months. And if he does it, it'll cost him 10 tens of thousands of dollars plus years of recovery. You also then have other examples, including one guy who said he bought filler off the dark web and injected it with an unsterilized needle, which ended up putting him in the hospital. And then this other guy who said that he went through a dozen years of plastic surgery and warning others not to do what he did. Saying anyone here like I was years ago, thinking this will change your life and be some kind of sex god? Forget it. And here's the thing, while this stuff used to be relegated to like small online forums, with the rise of quack wellness influencers on TikTok and Instagram, it's all over the place. It's gone mainstream, especially as people feel worse about themselves than ever before. Which I just gotta say, to, to any young men out there who like uh, an Andrew Tate or some fucking alpha influencer, like they, they don't already have their hooks in you. Because while I also advocate for you to take care of yourself, right? Eat good, try and be active, right? All of that's gonna be good for your mind and your body. But can so much in life just comes down to feeling confident in you. You gotta find those things that aren't just superficial because the, the looks go away, baby. And there's always gonna be superficial people. And honestly, I think a lot of people are superficial. It's just like different ranges. Some are a little bit, some are completely. And the ones who live around completely, you don't want them in your life. Like, I feel like social media and people being chronically online is just poisoned brains. Right, and a lot of us get pulled into that mentality when you see that guy with that girl and you're like, how did that happen? He's gotta be rich or have a huge dick. But also, like, what if he's just, like, a nice and funny and confident dude? What if he's, like, 
a pleasure to be around, right? Gives you energy instead of taking it away. And again, I also live in the real world. I know that for a number of people, those other things matter to varying degrees. But hopefully we can all agree that if you think that like your one shot at love involves you breaking your face and legs, that maybe you've misdiagnosed the problem. As distant as it may seem, there is gonna be someone out there who is ready to accept you for who you are. But there's nothing less sexy than blind rage and insecurity. And also understand, I, I know my audience, 90% of you know this, Maybe it helps to hear it again. This is really though for those other 10%. And then we've got to talk about huge updates with Hamas and Israel, but here's the thing. As of recording, there's not actually a ton of updates regarding what's happening on the ground. Other than things like many outlets, including Reuters, saying that Egypt has now rejected a safe passage corridor for Gazans, instead saying it's still pushing for aid packages to be sent. So that's something that Israel says will only happen once Hamas releases all the hostages they've taken. Also, you had Israel hitting two of Syria's major airports with missile strikes, with Reuters saying that the intention was to disrupt Iran's supply lines to the region for group like Hezbollah, but the conflict has sparked a lot of fears outside of the region as well. Right here in the United States, where both pro-Palestinian and pro-Israeli rallies have happened all across the country, there's a real fear that hate crimes are going to spike. Authorities in Utah reporting that several synagogues got bomb threats and were forced to evacuate. In Fresno, California, police launched a hate crime investigation after windows were smashed at a Jewish temple and a Jewish bakery. Meanwhile, New York, Texas, and Seattle are all increasing security at Jewish sites and temples. In Los Angeles, people seem to be worried about both groups with moves to beef up security at both the Jewish and Muslim sites. However, there is a reason places are seeming bolstering security at Jewish sites way more, and that's because they're targeted at way higher rates. In fact, according to the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at CSU San Bernardino, anti-Jewish hate crimes heavily spike after events like this and Israel get headlines. Noting things like between 1991 and 2020, there were 27,751 anti-Jewish hate crimes, and for that same time period, there were 3,895 anti-Muslim ones, though to be clear, that does not mean that experts are not worried about them as well. Hate crimes against Muslims do happen and do spike after extremist groups like Hamas carry out attacks, especially when some of the victims are American like this weekend. And I mean, we especially saw that after September 11th, 2001. And in fact, you have the Council on American Islamic Relations reporting that they're tracking hundreds of social media posts calling for anti-Muslim violence, as well as claiming that Muslim and Arab students are getting harassed all across the country. And according to the Justice Department, one of the hardest things about any of these numbers is that they are not uniformly tracked by police departments across the country. Often it's just listed as a hate crime in the database with little clear information to make it easy to categorize, such as the race of the victim. Though notably, it's not just hate crimes that the police are worried about and having to deal with right now. With one of the other big things being brought up right now being doxing. Or with things being reported like over at Harvard, the Harvard Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee put out a statement saying, we, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame. With 34 student groups signing on to that statement and a lot of people were not happy about it. Right By Tuesday night, at least four websites had listed the personal information of students linked to clubs that signed the original statement. And this included things like names, employment, social media profiles, hometowns, class years, everything. And then on Wednesday, a billboard truck was going around the streets near Harvard's campuses displaying the names and faces of many of these students, along with showing the link of a website with the rest of their information and calling them anti-Semites. Now, the school wasn't happy and they've moved to try and minimize the damage, but some of the websites featuring students' information being taken down for violating Google's terms of service. Harvard Executive Vice President Meredith L. Wienick also writing an email to students after the truck went around saying, We do not condone or ignore threats or acts of harassment or violence. Officials within our schools have been in contact with students to ensure they are aware of resources available to them if they are concerned about their physical safety or experience an immediate threat. But they're also adding that police presence would be boosted on campus, although the Harvard University Police Department said that there currently were no credible threats on anyone on campus. There was an additional security measure the school would be closing its gates to anyone without a student ID between 8 p.m. and 7 a.m. Still, though, tensions are high around the PSC's statement, although some groups have since retracted their signatures. And the PSC itself later clarified that it, quote, staunchly opposes violence against any civilians. But then at the same time, you also have Harvard Illel, their Jewish center, saying, we will continue
continue to reject the PSC's statement in the strongest terms and demand accountability for those who signed it. But under no circumstances should that accountability extend to public intimidation of individuals. Such intimidation is counterproductive to the education that needs to take place on our campus at this difficult time. And I will say what's very interesting is this is actually not the first time this stunt has been pulled. For the group behind the billboard trucks is called Accuracy and Media, and they did this to students at Berkeley as well last year after it banned pro-Israel speakers. And well, of course, I want to know your thoughts on any and all of this situation, or really anything in today's show. I'd really love to know your thoughts on this specific aspect of the story, because depending on where you went online, people were very split. Some saying this was disgusting, doxing, intimidation. But then you'd go somewhere else and you'd see a lot of people saying, hey, what happened here is justified. Saying things like, actions and words have consequences. It's about time that these young hate mongers learn that cause and effect applies to them like it does to everyone else in the world. Young and old, no matter what your ethnic background, skin color, religion, sexual orientation, or politics are. Time to grow up, folks. Right, a lot of their general arguments being you didn't sign onto this thing anonymously. Or you're part of a group making a public statement and other people are just spreading the word that you said it. So with all that said, which of those camps do you personally land in and why? Also, what's been interesting to watch is online, everyone going after one another. And while a lot of the focus over the past week has been like left versus right, and then really even more so leftist versus liberals, we've also seen people on the right going after one another. For example, one of the people we've seen inserting themselves into many of the narratives being Ben Shapiro, right? He's a right-wing pundit, he's an Orthodox Jew, and he's long supported some of Israel's most controversial policies towards Palestinians, such as settlement building, with people pointing to things old and new, like on the topic back in 2010. He said Israelis like to build, Arabs like to bomb crap and live in open sewage. This is not a difficult issue, hashtag settlements rock. And then also more recently, after a UN group called for a truce because of the fighting and intense bombing of Gaza, Shapiro replied with, and they can fuck right off. But then that actually got a response from none other than Andrew Tate, who wrote, Mr. Tough Guy, let me assure you as someone who has done his own fighting, as opposed to excitedly encouraging others to do it for him while sitting at home in a comfy chair, peace is always worth a conversation. Which immediately resulted in a mixed reaction. Some mocking Tate, some defending him. Though Shapiro uh, seemingly did not like Tate's input, and he responded, let me assure you, as someone who has not pimped women and bragged about it, the morality requires that those who rape women and kidnap children must be eradicated, not negotiated with. Then you had Andrew's brother Tristan chiming in, responding to that saying, a Jewish man speaking of eradication of a race of people. 2023 is a scary time to be alive. And saying, I wonder how many of the women and kids were soon to be obliterated, kidnapped, or raped anybody. My guess is zero. With Shapiro then responding, I called for those who rape women and kidnap children to be eradicated. So not only are you immoral, you are apparently illiterate. But then you also had people pushing back against that saying, oh, do you know about bombs that only hit the baddies? But in general, not only were they going after each other, their audiences were as well. Though notably, in addition to all this, there's been a lot of discussion around this situation. Like for example, you had Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez writing that Israel's decision to cut off essential supplies to Gaza was, quote, collective punishment and a violation of international law, and saying we cannot starve nearly a million children to death over the horrific actions of Hamas, whose disregard for Israeli, Palestinian, and human life overall could not be more clear. But then also here we saw Shapiro respond, why it's almost as though all the water and power would be back on tomorrow if Hamas, the government of Gaza, turned over the children, women, and men it is holding hostage. But you don't care about that, of course. And again, as we've been seeing on social media, the reactions to those comments are all over the place. And unfortunately, what we've been seeing more and more of, it feels like it generally lacks any kind of understanding of nuance, and it's often just vile hate speech and calls for violence from both sides. And then, I would like to apologize to you for the fact that I'm about to put this into your brain. Have you ever been in like a big crowded place, like a sporting event, concert, or festival, and you see a drone flying high above and you're like, I, I do not like that at all? Well, if that's the case, you are in good company because both the NFL and members of Congress aren't a fan of this phenomenon either. With NBC even putting out a report now about how drones pose a threat at places like football games, but venues and local officials have little power to actually do anything about it. With them noting that there were 2,500 drone incursions over NFL stadiums last season, which was well above the 1,300 that happened the year before. Games have also been interrupted, right? There were cases where drones dropped leaflets over games. With Kathy Lanier, the NFL's chief of security, telling NBC, that could have been anything. To me, it feels like a big hole 
hole in our fence. And Michigan Senator Gary Peters telling Alec that there are concerns people could attach a bomb to a drone and cause damage and death. But here's the thing, only the FBI and Homeland Security actually have the authority to take down a rogue aircraft in cases like this. Well, they cover major sporting events, they don't send teams to every normal game. With Lanier telling NBC that since 2018, when those departments were given drone mitigation authority, they have only been able to approve 77 out of 121,000 requests to send teams to stadiums. And so now we're seeing a push from some lawmakers for legislation that would allow state and local enforcement agencies to bring down rogue drones. And here's the key thing, it's already against the law for those drones to be going over those events, it's just people like Lanier want a mechanism to enforce it, and saying we've got to stop kicking the can down the road. Policy is not keeping pace with technology and that's a problem. And the only thing that I can really say at the end is yes, something has to be done, because the only thing that is surprising about this story is that something horrible has not happened yet. Like I remember years and years ago before drones became mainstream and it was really just more of a hobbyist thing, just talking to people in that community and them going like, this is gonna be a potentially a really big problem. But with that said, what are your thoughts here? And then, yo, I, I gotta share this story with you real quick. A friend of mine has been in New York for a minute and he had several offsite meetings scheduled on the day the rain was coming down sideways. But luckily he remembered he had a pair of Vessi sneakers. I mean, I told you they're good for travel and he slipped them on and ventured out. And he actually hit me with a text because he was amazed at how dry his feet were through all of it. Which also, I will say when he called me, I let him know, hey, anytime you wanna say the words, thank you and you were right, I'm all ears. And so thank you to Vessi for not only being a sponsor of today's show, but also for making me seem like the smart friend. If even just for a moment, because he's actually smarter than me. But I do have to add, Vessi's latest sneaker, the Soho, might be my new favorite. They've elevated their sneaker game here while still keeping your feet dry and super comfortable. And they seriously look good in both dark and light colorways. So also, my buddy was suitably wearing the Storms that rainy day in New York, which also reminds me, you gotta check out their stretchy knit waterproof gloves as well, with insulated lining to keep your hands warm and dry. So what are you waiting for? Go check out everything at Vessi at Vessi.com slash DeFranco. They've got something for everyone and you'll get 15% off your first order when you go to Vessi.com slash DeFranco. That's Vessi.com slash DeFranco for 15% off your first order. And then in some social media drama news, let's talk about Bobby Altoff, which if you don't know Bobby, she's recently blown up. She's a social media personality and podcast host of the podcast, The Really Good Podcast. And I don't know if it's oversimplified. It feels kind of like a full summary. Her shtick is that she's kind of at times very blunt, very deadpan, sometimes almost rude. It's all kind of just meant to make it feel awkward. Have you ever ridden a horse? Yeah, he tried to kill me. I can see why. Right, and well, the podcast is new. She's gotten a lot of big names on the show. You just saw Shaq. There was also Drake, Offset, Jason Derulo, Tyga, and more. And notably, one of the growing criticisms about her is that it feels strange that it largely involves her just kind of being awkward with or even kind of condescending towards specifically black men. And you stack that on top of other clips going viral, like her posting that she was at a Drake concert and really not seeing what all the fuss was about. And people being like, okay, so is the gimmick like you don't feel comfortable in black spaces? And that even kind of growing to a point where there was a clip recently of Offset kind of giving her shit back that went out absolutely viral, like, yeah, he's not taking it, he's throwing it right back in her face. And all of that has now brought us to this moment where Bobby teased an interview she did with Scarlett Johansson. And a lot of people think that her tone with Scarlett is different based on a snippet Bobby shared where the two were discussing hair products. They were telling me there's like something for slicked back. Sure, you could slick back your hair, or you can use the, this, this. Can I recipe. put some of that on your hair? Cause there's a piece that's like- Is there? Yeah. Would you? I would love to. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Why is it driving you crazy? A little bit, look at that. Is it better? That's amazing. Not bad, right? Wait, look at that. It's like... Smoother? 
Oh, it's like perfect. Also, with this, I will say it's important to note that Bobby tagged the hair care brand that they were using in the caption saying, hey, the products are currently available. And when you know it, that beauty company was co-founded by Scarlett Johansson. But it wasn't so much the sneaky advertising that was pissing people off. It was more the, the way that she was interacting. Where people thinking, it seems like they're just being girls. Bobby's touching and fixing Scarlett's hair. I think it felt a lot different than how she talked with her black guests. Which is why you saw tweets popping off saying things like landing an interview with a white woman and immediately dropping her entire gimmick and just being nice instead is so insane. As well as she completely changed her tone. As a result, I want y'all to ignore her forever. Her shtick is giving racist. So there you had some pushing back saying, hey, this is more about a woman on woman thing. Arguing that she's done her whole awkward, condescending shtick with white guests like Charlie Puth and Mark Cuban. But with all this, I gotta ask, what are your thoughts here? Do you think this is a nothing situation that people are just kind of trying to stir up to have some fun with drama? Or do you see this as a big issue or does it rub you the wrong way? Or is there possibly an answer in the middle? Like maybe this is the beginning of her pivoting away from a shtick that maybe gets stale pretty fast. Although, I mean, if we're being honest, it's not like a new shtick. Zach Gall Galifianakis did a great version of it, but with uh, Between Two Ferns. Though there, I I'm not going to accuse Bobby's podcast of being like of that comedic level. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? And then we should talk about this mess regarding the House Speaker. Because yesterday, House Republicans officially nominated Representative Steve Scalise to be Speaker of the House in a closed-door party meeting, with Scalise narrowly beating out Representative Jim Jordan by just 113 to 99 votes. Though also, very notably, almost a dozen other Republicans also voted present or for another candidate entirely. Now, historically, once a party nominates a Speaker internally, everyone else falls in line and honors that decision and a full floor vote. But of course, uh, none of that really matters when you live in the age of unprecedented shit. And so in an expected, but again, totally unprecedented move, some members are refusing to back Scalise as speaker. So as a result, as I'm starting to record this story, his nomination has not yet been brought up for a full vote yet, with Republican leadership trying to whip up enough votes to avoid an open mutiny on the floor. But also, it is genuinely unclear right now if Scalise can get enough votes, and it increasingly looks like he won't. Right? There's no world where Democrats back Scalise, and the GOP majority is so slim that the whole thing falls apart if even five Republicans vote against the nomination. But as of recording, at least 16 Republicans have indicated they will not back Scalise. And it's not just one faction of the party that's opposed to his nomination. Right on one side, you have far-right members who back Jordan and say they'll either vote for him again on the floor or just vote against Scalise. This also despite the fact that a spokesperson for Jordan said that he would actually back Scalise in the floor vote. Also, I just gotta mention this because it was the funniest fucking thing I saw. Yesterday, Nancy Mace was on CNN talking to Jake Tapper and she was like trying to make up really, but describe this world where Democrats actually like Jim Jordan, which resulted in this back and forth. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of Jim Jordan? I Yes, I've talked to Democrats over the last week on who do they trust, even though they wouldn't agree with him on many issues. He is someone The Jim can... Jordan from Ohio? Oh, yes, the Jim Jordan from Ohio. Democrats people... in Congress? Yes, they can work with him and those that name I Name one Democrat from Congress that trusts name Jim Jordan. people off the record. They trust him more than they trust the former speaker. I just loved it so much, but back on track. Right, part of the group saying they will not vote for Scalise include classic assholes who thrive off of dividing their own party like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. But then also on the other side of the Republican Party, you have some Kevin McCarthy loyalists who are still mad that he was ousted and saying they will not back Scalise in a full floor vote. And then at the same time, there are also a good number of Republicans who say they won't support Scalise for totally different reasons. This including the man boy who has never told a lie, Representative George Santos, who tweeted that he won't support Scalise because Scalise hadn't taken the time to reach out to him personally. What? Not even a bottomless brunch, Scalise? Also, Representative Ken Buck said he won't support anyone who refuses to clearly say the 2020 presidential election was not stolen from Trump, which notably Scalise has refused to do so. And then finally, Representative Nancy, I don't understand the Scarlet Letter Mace, who notably was one of the eight Republicans who voted in favor of ousting McCarthy. And she has said that she won't vote for Scalise because he attended a white supremacist conference two decades ago and once compared himself to David Duke, which, you know, I can criticize her and make fun of her for other things, but solid reasoning there. But also, on the note of those eight Republicans that ousted McCarthy, it's actually been reported that they have largely agreed to back Scalise. But ultimately, as of recording, we don't know what's actually going to happen. 
happen. We're just kind of watching the Republicans roll around in their shit. Meanwhile, the House is basically unable to function at all, which notably means they can't make key decisions on things like aid to Israel or preventing a government shutdown next month. But yeah, all we know is that uh, something will happen at some point. And if things stay on trend, uh, just expect it to be stupid and or horrible. And then, y'all, are you looking for some quality, cool, stylish shades? Well, thanks to the sponsor of today's show, Shady Rays, they've got you covered. Right, Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers unrivaled product as good as any expensive pair that we've worn. Are you into winter sports? Their quick swap snow lenses move effortlessly between full sun to low light environments. Their durable frames and world-class optics are perfect for outdoor adventures. And every pair of sunglasses is backed by their lost or broken replacements. Lose or break your pair? Even on day one, they'll send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk and their team is all about superb customer service. And they have the most insane protection in eyewear with a five-star rating by over 250,000 people. For me personally, my everyday is the Black Emerald Signature Series, but I also love my high-rise Black Mirage Timbers for the beach because they're saltwater resistant. Plus, Shady Rays is committed to making a difference in communities across the nation through their impact program, teaming up with nonprofits to help people live healthy, courageous lives through some of their most challenging times. But the big thing for you right now is that Shady Rays is giving you beautiful bastards an amazing deal for the season. So just go to ShadyRays.com and use code Phil for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. And then we should talk about Sound of Freedom because over the summer, while everyone was really focused on Barbenheimer and understandably so, fantastic movies, there was also a lot of conversation around Sound of Freedom, though it felt like a lot of people's understanding of it was really based off of like headlines they saw passing on Twitter. And so I want to break that down as well as the things that we have learned since. So the movie tells a story of a U.S. federal agent who quits his job to save children from sex traffickers in Colombia. Right and on the surface, it's a pretty generic action movie with a modest budget of less than $15 million. But then it suddenly exploded into a box office hit with Hollywood absolutely shocked. I mean, the film grossed more than $183 million domestically since July, beating out the new Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones. And it actually became the 19th highest earning independent movie of all time. Which of course leads to the question of why is this film so popular? What in the world was driving that? And on the journey to try to understand it, we ended up discovering that the story of this movie is so much more than just this movie. So if you will, over the next few minutes, let's go down this rabbit hole. Right, so to start things off, we have our main protagonist, Tim Ballard, the real person whom Sound of Freedom was loosely based on. Right, and he was born in California and says he became a CIA officer in 2001 for less than a year, though Vice said they were unable to confirm that. Then he worked at Homeland Security for a decade, but says that he became increasingly disgruntled at how little he could legally do to combat trafficking abroad from his U.S. office. And according to his account, everything changed when he learned about a missing Haitian boy by the name of Gardy Marty, and DHS wouldn't let Ballard work on the case. So the story goes, he founded Operation Underground Railroad, an anti-trafficking organization in 2013. And with a group of so-called operatives, he ventured to Haiti in search of the boy, whom they have not found to this day. But nevertheless, the mission has helped them raise tens of millions of dollars and, according to OUR, rescued thousands of children. But the group's stories are about as cinematic as they are difficult to fact check. The two vice reporters, Anna Merlin and Tim Marchman, trying to do just that. While they found few outright falsehoods, they documented in their own words a pattern of image burnishing and mythology building, a series of exaggerations that are in aggregate quite misleading. Right, let's take the example of Liliana, the pseudonym of a trafficking victim whose story Ballard would repeat frequently over the years following 2019. Right, according to him, she was kidnapped in Central America at the age of 13, though 11 and later retellings then smuggled across the U.S. southern border to New York. There, he says that she was forced to have sex with men 30 to 40 times a day. Then, Operation Underground Railroad helped her escape that hell and took her into its care while she healed. But Ballard's recounting reportedly plays loose with the facts big and small. Right, in reality, Liliana came from Mexico, not Central America, and she was 14 years old at the time, not 13 or 11. Also, the 30 to 40 number is more than double the 15 to 20 that Liliana herself testified during trial. Not that it makes it any less horrific. Also, strictly speaking, she wasn't kidnapped against her will, but rather became romantically involved with a 17-year-old boy whose family convinced her to follow them to the U.S. for a better life. And that's an important detail that's been very focused on because a common criticism of OUR is that it puffs up these sensational stories of just brazen kidnappings and heroic rescues 
that obscure the actual reality of how most sex trafficking works, with it usually involving the victim being trafficked by someone that they know who exploits their emotional and financial dependency to manipulate them into doing sex work. And then lastly, Ballard's claim that OUR helped Liliana escape is just flatly untrue. Right? She bravely left her abusers on her own without anyone's help at the age of 17 after years of rape, psychological manipulation, and physical violence. With her only meeting OUR representatives years later as she was preparing to testify in court, though it's not clear how much the group was actually involved in her case. But OUR has used her story in fundraising materials to attract donors, and Ballard has used it to promote Trump's wall at the southern border, which may sound weirdly unrelated, but it signals how Underground Railroad's work is fundamentally a right-wing project. Because unlike Liliana's story, most of OUR's public image rests on the dramatic stings it conducts abroad, those missions following a tradition of what critics have labeled a media-friendly, militarized humanitarianism, with this being where operatives, mostly white, religiously devout men, go undercover in foreign countries and then have the police burst in and haul off all the bad guys in a dramatic raid. Meanwhile, you've got the cameras rolling to capture the whole experience so that donors back home can cheer it on and feel good about themselves. But this, as critics point out, that the women supposedly saved by this aggressive raid-style approach might suffer additional trauma from the experience. Plus, they actually frequently end up facing arrest or deportation. And this has been the model for many faith-based anti-trafficking organizations since the 1990s. And critics going on to say that unlike the established network of groups that work closely with government agencies to offer professional help, these groups don't know what they're doing. Right? With people pointing to things like two people who worked with OUR on overseas operations telling Vice it had no meaningful surveillance or identification of targets, no development of assets, no validating that people they sought to rescue had in fact been trafficked, or that people they were targeting were indeed traffickers. And that in addition to no meaningful follow-up with people who had been rescued on the missions. Instead, as these sources and public accounts and videos of OUR missions show, these ops consist of guys just walking into a town and flashing thousands of dollars at clubs and bars. And then when they find pimps offering women of legal age, they push for girls who are younger. Which is actually a method anti-trafficking experts have criticized, saying that it could inadvertently increase demand for trafficking. With their argument being that rather than finding minors who are already being trafficked, requesting younger victims could cause traffickers to then try and find people to fill that request. And this is most of the law enforcement agencies and anti-trafficking groups that Vice reached out to said that they had no idea what OUR is or have extremely thin connections to it. But then, when you go deeper, OUR's methods have been described as unprofessional and downright bizarre. In 2014, Ballard said he got a tip that Guardi Marty, the Haitian boy we mentioned earlier, and several other trafficked children were being kept in a Haitian village. And so he and a group of operatives swooped in under the cover of a medical team to attempt a rescue operation, with Ballard even calling Marty's father, who had been searching for his son for years, and telling him they knew where he was. And then finally, Ballard reveals who gave him the tip, with two people who were there independently verifying the same story, and one telling Vice. Tim shows up with this woman, this very sheltered-looking, soccer-momish woman from Utah, and he's being very defensive and won't let anyone talk to her. After a couple days, I figured out she's a fucking psychic. That's his fucking source. Right? Her name was Janet Russin, a medium from Utah who claimed to speak to a Mormon prophet from 600 BC named Nephi. And reportedly, OUR relied heavily on her so-called visions both to locate children and to plan operations. So unsurprisingly, the missions turn up no missing children, but what's worse is the operatives caused a huge fuss in the village, with another person who was there telling Vice. He's making decisions like a reality TV producer, and so he starts running around the village like an idiot. The cameras are following him, he's drawing so much attention to himself. And then OUR learned that a rumor had spread that the medical team was there to identify who was infected with the virus. So soon after, villagers gathered, some reportedly with shotguns, and they began yelling and getting riled up, with senior elders asking the team to leave, and as they did, several cars followed them out to make sure they didn't come back. Which is why some have said if you look behind the facade of valiant heroes saving children from evil kidnappers, you find a profoundly unserious joke of an organization. Which, along with its right-wing themes, is why critics find OUR's comparison of itself to anti-slavery activists in the 19th century especially insensitive. Right, to illustrate that point, OUR began marketing a painting for sale back in 2017 that depicts Tim Ballard, his wife, and a third figure carrying sleeping black children down a railroad track while Abraham Lincoln and Harriet Tubman look on approvingly. With anthropologist Bradley Kramer saying in a response, it's almost like a parody of the white savior narrative, saying it steals the imagery and the power of the Underground Railroad narrative and transforms it into this Trumpian fantasy of brave, powerful white dudes rescuing black people from their squalor. But all that said, despite all of its detractors, OUR has enough of a fan base, especially as the Trump 
Trump years unfolded to justify a movie about Ballard. The Sound of Freedom focusing on one mission OUR was involved in that did actually happen, though the film heavily fictionalizes it. You've got Ballard canoeing into the Colombian jungle alone to rescue a little girl, fighting her trafficker in hand-to-hand -hand combat and ultimately killing him. And to play Ballard, the film casted Jim Caviezel, who is a controversial figure in his own right. Or you may know him as Jesus from Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, a film that along with its director was widely accused of anti-Semitism. But now more recently he's gotten attention for his strong belief in QAnon, which, in case you forgot, somehow revolves around the belief that Trump and the military are locked in a secret cosmic war against a cabal of satanic cannibalistic pedophiles who control the world. And one of the conspiracy theories' wackier ideas is that these elites maintain their life force by harvesting adrenochrome, a stress hormone they believe is excreted by tortured children. And so when Caviezel was promoting Sound of Freedom at a conference dedicated to election and COVID denialism, he talked about how Ballard couldn't attend because he was saving children from the darkest recesses of hell where they were being murdered for their adrenochrome. Then on Steve Bannon's podcast, he said the whole adrenochrome empire is driving demand for trafficked children. And even Tim Ballard himself told Jordan Peterson that he condemns most conspiracy theories, but that the children in Africa are being harvested for their adrenochrome, which is also why a lot of QAnon followers ended up being disappointed to find the Sound of Freedom didn't explicitly mention adrenochrome or any specific QAnon beliefs. Though that could also be because the movie was filmed back in 2018 before the conspiracy theory really took off. But still, you have people pointing out that the film plays into the theme of kidnapped child sex trafficking victims being rescued by a vigilante hero. So there were some concerns the Sound of Freedom would introduce relatively moderate conservatives to a watered-down version of QAnon, easing them into the more insane parts of the conspiracy. And actually, sure enough, those concerns appear to be vindicated when the film burst into the mainstream as a surprise box office hit. And that, largely due to effective marketing that painted it as a film that Hollywood doesn't want you to see. With a number of conservative outlets, pundits, and politicians promoting it. And so much of the audience it became not just like going to a movie, but a way to maybe save the children and stick it to the shadowy elites. Hell, even in the movie itself, Jim Caviezel appears on screen at the end and urges viewers to buy more tickets so others can see it and help end child trafficking. And so with that huge financial success, Tim Ballard's anti-trafficking empire reached its peak. But since then, it's kind of just gone downhill. Right to start off, we learned last month that Paul Hutchinson, an executive producer on Sound of Freedom, groped the naked chest of an apparently underage trafficking victim during a 2016 undercover operation in Mexico, with an OUR operator capturing footage of the incident as well as a phone call between Hutchinson and Matt Osborne, then an operative and now the president and chief operating officer of OUR. And in that, Hutchinson expresses concern that he'll get in trouble with Mexican authorities, and Osborne tells him not to worry, but to keep the video away from the U.S. Embassy. Unfortunately for them, however, the Davis County Attorney's Office and the FBI opened an investigation into it, though notably they closed it this year without filing charges. But regardless, it exposed evidence that OUR lied to the public about the nature and effectiveness of its work and misused donor funds, with many former employees describing how the organization would do very little actual work on the ground rescuing kids, as its marketing suggests, and instead saying it donated money and equipment to foreign law enforcement agencies and then took credit for those agencies' work as if it was directly involved. But Hutchinson, as it turned out, was only the tip of the iceberg. Right? The real big fish that agents were probing was none other than Tim Ballard himself. Right? In June, just before the film released, he left the organization that he founded, and last month we finally found out why. An internal investigation had been looking into sexual misconduct allegations against him by at least seven women, with sources telling Vice News that Ballard would invite women on undercover missions to play his wife and then coerce them into intimate situations like sharing a bed or showering together to fool traffickers. Sources also told Vice that he had sent photos of himself in his underwear wearing fake tattoos to some of the women. He also allegedly invoked his own divinity and the connections to the Mormon church to persuade women that testing their sexual chemistry with him was in essence approved by God. Right, and according to conservative personality Eric Mutzis, who says that he has spoken to at least four of the victims, Ballard exploited not just his relationship with President M. Russell Ballard, a powerful figure in the church whom he's not related to despite sharing a last name, but also psychic readings from Janet Russell. So last month, a Utah attorney representing the women accused Ballard of sexual harassment, spiritual manipulation, grooming, and sexual misconduct. And the total number of women involved is believed to be higher than seven, as that would only account for employees, not contractors or volunteers. Now with that, Ballard has flatly denied all these accusations. But then on Instagram, he posted a video defending what he called the couple's ruse, where a male operative pretends to be romantic with a female operator to fool traffickers. But Monday, five women filed a lawsuit in Salt Lake City accusing Ballard of exploiting the couple's ruse to sexually assault them, where he allegedly told them that having sex with him would help 
improve their real marriages, but that they still shouldn't tell their husbands. Also allegedly asking them, is there anything you wouldn't do to save a child? And the women also claiming that when he spoke to Nephi, right, that centuries old prophet, he was actually getting ketamine treatments and making up prophecies about how he would become the future US president and ultimately usher in the second coming of Christ. But with that said, you know, some of his former backers like Mormon leaders have denounced him while other right wing figures have defended him. For example, you had Charlie Kirk who compared Ballard to Elon Musk and Russell Brand, both men accused of what he referred to as sex issues or fake financial crimes. And adding, if you effectively speak against the regime, they will crush you. Now with all that said, in the meantime, Ballard appears to have founded a new anti-trafficking organization called Spear. And so he appears to still be chugging along, though for the other star, Jim Caviezel, Sound of Freedom's commercial success doesn't seem to have reversed kind of his uh, estrangement from mainstream Hollywood that he's felt since Passion of the Christ. Though, understand his career is gonna be fine, not only because they're making Sound of Freedom 2, but because Mel Gibson has cast him in the sequel to Passion of the Christ. But with now all that said and us hopping out of the rabbit hole, at least for a little bit, I, I gotta now pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? And then let's talk about Yesterday Today, where we take a look back at yesterday's show where we covered so much news. We then dive into those comments and we see which stories stood out to you, what your thoughts were, what your opinions are. Sometimes you share experiences. And yesterday, there was actually a pretty decent spread on what y'all were commenting on. On the AI news, some of you were concerned, some of you excited about the prospects, but some of you said, I hope Phil is comforted by the fact that AI could never accurately fake his hands when talking. We would know, which, ooh, baby. Which I will say, you know, we have actually looked at how we could incorporate AI into the show. So it's largely connected to voice cloning. Because, you know, sometimes on like a Friday, a Saturday, or Sunday, I'm not just locked in this little box of a room. I'm like actually outside doing things with family so I can't record. And so we've tested AI voice cloning, but it's not fully there. Like, here's a sample. I really wish my AI voice was better because then I could do the only thing I love more than my job, which is not doing my job. It's like 90% there. Then, of course, the scary side of that is and someone can just make you sound like you said a thing you didn't say. Also, in more serious news, you did have people leaving comments around Hamas and Israel, with a lot of people really focusing on Bernie Sanders' statement. They're all saying things like, Senator Bernie Sanders captured my views to the point. It's imperative that we understand and acknowledge the complex history and conflict between Israel and Gaza without advocating for all the tragedies and horrors occurring. If at any point you're disregarding the tragic loss of life as justice, then you may be contributing to the cycle of hatred and mindset that influenced this conflict. Some of y'all also sharing your personal experiences, saying things like, my friend is a Palestinian born in the U.S., saying he's horrified by what has happened, and today he learned his uncle was shot in the head while attempting to flee to Jordan. He wasn't Hamas, he wasn't a terrorist and didn't harbor any hate for Israelis. And yet he was killed. So many innocent people are going to continue to die and I can't stop crying. And you know, that person sharing that personal story, it, it feeds into the kind of the general feeling that I saw a lot of people have, which is comments like, whoever wins between the Israel-Hamas conflict, the innocent civilians on both sides will be the biggest losers and that's the saddest part. But then finally, another story that got a lot of attention was George Santos and those new charges. With really people just kind of still shocked that he is a member of Congress. Though I will say, if you've watched this show for long enough, you've been a part of this community for long enough, how are you surprised? Accountability is like just not a thing that happens in Congress. Like sometimes, but especially not when every single vote counts. There's a lot of willful blindness. So some saying George Santos is a perfect example of why government officials need more in-depth background checks, better qualifications, and can be fired without pay. Though I will say, if he is found guilty, uh, the pay is the least of his worries. But in the meantime, you know, we live in the world where someone can do something horrendous and despicable, but you get to just say fake news. That's just the playbook now, so we're gonna have to wait to see how the legal process plays out. And that actually brings us to the end of your daily dive into the news today. Now remember, if I haven't completely melted your brain for more news you need to know, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap or I got links in the description. And of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you right back here next time for more news.